Close your books. <sighs> There's a folk story that many of us know. It appears cross-culturally. It appears in the Thousand and One Nights, but we also get it in a Hasidic retelling from Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Pshichta. In that version, we meet a Rabbi Isaac of Krakow who dreams that there is a treasure waiting for him buried under a bridge in Prague. After having this dream numerous times, he sets out to find it. When he reaches Prague and is scoping out the site, he is approached by an official who asks him what he's doing. Rabbi Isaac tells him about the dream, and the official scoffs. Well, I had a dream also, that there's a treasure under a tile in the kitchen of someone named Rabbi Isaac in Krakow. But you don't see me upping and leaving. And sure enough, Rabbi Isaac returns home, pries up the tile under his stove. <laughs> and finds treasure. I thought about this story 10 months ago as I found myself standing on a hilltop in southwestern Germany at the grave of my great-great-grandfather and namesake Yitzhak Keller. Because I was there responding to an invitation issued to me in dreams over many years, recurring dreams telling me to go to this corner of Germany even though I didn't have any waking reason to do so. It was only after having the dream again on the eve of my little sabbatical last November that I decided to finally take it seriously and head for the state of Baden-Württemberg. It was not meant to be a family history trip because I didn't know my family was from there. My ancestors had left almost no clues, at least none that I could find, in all the other branches of my family where my curiosity had reached, I had stories and data to go on. But the Kellers were a persistent dead end. My great-grandfather Herman Keller, whose birthday is today, came to the US in the 1870s, and in his wake, he left a discontinuity of transmission of our history, a breach in memory. I don't think it was intentional, but transmission requires both a transmitter and a receiver. Both have to be powered up, working, and willing. Whatever the case, by the time great-grandpa Herman was gone, his grandchildren, my dad and uncle, had no clue where their grandfather had come from. Cousins' guesses ranged from Bavaria to Hamburg to the Black Forest, the last of these sounding most like a fairy tale, turned out to be the closest to correct. Only after I had made my plans and my tickets were bought did I have more dreams that led me to a series of rapid-fire internet discoveries, revealing that this was, in fact, where Herman Keller born Gavriel Hirsch Keller, I discovered, came from, and that his father's grave and his father's father's too were intact, standing on this hilltop. This is the place I visited. No, let me rephrase that. This is the place I returned to, because this was or felt like a journey of return which makes this, I hope, 
a reasonable story for tonight. Because return is what we are all about today. It is what we are trying to do during these days of awe, trying to return. It is our overarching metaphor, tshuva, return. This metaphor dominates our personal and interpersonal and spiritual work of the week. We don't have a lot of precision around what we mean when we say tshuva but we sense it is in part reconciliation, in part revisiting, in part apology, in part atonement, and in part cheshbon ha-nefesh, accounting for ourselves. All of these angles, all of these elements that in Hebrew get swirled up together in the, world, in the word tshuva, return. And even though we have differing ideas about what specifically we are returning to, we still know the feel of this work, and we do it. We show up every year, and we do tshuva as if the wolves of the black forest were at our heels. We do it because it matters. We do it because we know we need it. We do it because every year we fear that this year will be our last chance. We do it in anticipation of death. Doing tshuva in anticipation of death is not my own particular dark fixation. Tshuva is meant to be done in anticipation of death. In Pirkei Avot, Rabbi Eliezer says that one should repent on the day of one's death. And his students object, saying, but you can't know when you're going to die. To which the sage responds, then do tshuva today, lest you die tomorrow. And so we do tshuva today, every day, and especially on Yom Kippur in this reenactment or pre-enactment of our own deaths, not eating, not drinking, wearing clothes that look like shrouds. We die before we die, as the Sufis say in order to impel our tshuva. But when we make tshuva, what is it that we are returning to? Standing on that hilltop in Weibstadt, Germany, I have to say that I indeed felt like I was returning even though I had never been there. This great-great-grandfather whose grave I stood at shared his name with me as I discovered he did with his own grandfather and with his grandson, my grandpa Irwin, whose birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> this succession of Yitzchak Kellers made me feel a little bit like a cat with, if not nine lives, then four. <laughs> yes, his life was a blank slate to me, but oddly, chillingly, a blank slate with my name on it. And so when I found him there with his name, my name, staring back at me in both Hebrew and German, it did not feel like I had reached a destination at the end of some forward quest, but rather that I had returned. The consolidated union of Yitzchak Kellers had launched, crossed the ocean, and boomeranged back. The sensation of this being a return rather than a visit was reinforced by how I felt in the surroundings. 
seeing the landscape, seeing the town the Kellers came from with its timber-framed Gothic houses. There was a kind of familiarity there for me. I don't know the source of the familiarity. It could have been from childhood jaunts to excessively German Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> it could have been the porcelain miniatures of German houses in my grandmother's china cabinet. It could have been mystical or epigenetic or entirely born of my own overactive imagination. <laughs> but whatever caused it, the surroundings felt familiar, as if I knew the language of the trees and the hills and the houses, even when I faltered at the language of the people. So where do we return to on Yom Kippur? Where does our tshuva lead us? To some place we've been? To an earlier us? Or to an us we've never been, but have only imagined? And what do we do when we get there? Reconciliation, the making of amends, seems in keeping with our project of tshuva. And certainly an American Jew in Germany could easily be a story about reconciliation, of coming to terms with violence and trauma of the past. But the truth is, I didn't have any specific reconciliation to do while there, at least none that I knew of consciously. My ancestors had not been routed out. They had not been rounded up. They had left for a better life in a new world, as far before Kristallnacht as we are now after it. They had left for a better life, which I suppose I am now living. And in my awareness of that, I felt a need not to reconcile with some trauma of the past, but rather simply to report in. <laughs> I stood at the graves and announced myself in German. I recited the lineage that connected us, and I reported in my faltering language on the state of their family in America 140 years later. And so while reconciliation is a reasonable element of our tshuva, tshuva does not always have to be quite so dire. Doing tshuva simply to report in without judgment, without pressure, this has value. After all, we are so busy living our lives. We are trapped inside the events and the responsibilities and the crises. When do we take the chance to just collect our thoughts and check in? But it's Yom Kippur, so let's do it now. Take a moment right now. Close your eyes and breathe. And in your mind's eye, greet yourself and report in a little bit. Here's where my life is at right now. Here's what brought me to this point. Here's where I suspect I'm headed. Here are the people and the things that are important to me. When you're ready, you can come out of your little report back. I know that just 
articulating these questions, I feel my body relaxing, easing, lightening and deepening at once. You can keep having this report back conversation tonight or tomorrow or right now or whenever you want. When you're done with it, be sure to thank yourself for the honesty with which you reported in and tell yourself how much you're looking forward to the next update. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the cemetery, after I was done with my report back, it became very quiet. I began to feel the vastness and loneliness of this place, and a different purpose rose up in my heart. I had returned so that I could witness. These people had erected stone markers facing not toward Jerusalem, but toward the future. The stones stood like sentinels waiting for the future to look back and see them. And in the meantime, we forgot, forgot where we came from until German academics surveyed the stones and posted an index on the web just in time for some schlub in California with nagging dreams and a plane ticket to discover his ancestors' names and the addresses of their graves. These people wanted to be witnessed. If there was a dramatic reconciliation, it was not with Germany or with the Shoah, but with failure of memory itself. My return was a return from amnesia. And I think this is true in our tshuva as well. We are not returning in order to become who we were when we were younger and more idealistic or more innocent or more pained or more hopeful. We are returning not to be those people. They had their day. We are returning to remember those people, to witness them again to notice how valuable they were in bringing us here. Our younger selves erected stones and markers in our psyches. These are the pieces of us that asked to be remembered, but whose locations we forgot. On Yom Kippur, in our tshuva, we have the chance to relinquish our personal amnesia. We can look back and remember and witness. We're going to take a moment and do that now. Take a moment, close your eyes if that's natural for you, and imagine your younger self at any point, whatever age, whatever you presents itself to you in this moment. And now remember something about that you that you have forgotten. Something that didn't end up in the story that you habitually tell. Now hold what you are remembering Hold what you are remembering like a treasure, like an heirloom you inherited from yourself. And come back into the room when you're ready.
So, okay, besides reporting back and witnessing, I'm going to suggest one more element of tshuva that arose for me from my journey. But first, this, this hilltop in Weibstadt, did I tell you that it's a forest? Locals now call it the Waldfriedhof, the woodland cemetery. When the Jews began burying their dead there at the end of the 17th century, it was a sunny, open field. It remained a sunny, open field until the last burial in 1938. But now, now European sycamore maples push right up out of the graves, covering the whole place with a leafy canopy. Untended, undisturbed, this bit of Jewish land gave birth to something beyond its intention. A natural forest land emerged, dark, lush, full of the trilling of birds and the shushing of leaves, a deep shaded place beloved by hikers. The founders of the cemetery had not signed up for a reforestation project. That was not their intent. But the future was unknown, and they, like all of us, surrendered to it. I know that in our tshuva, we have a tendency to beat ourselves up about the ways we have not turned out as planned, the ways we have not turned out as we'd wanted and intended. But that is an awful lot of responsibility, having to be accountable to who we wanted to be when we were 11 and 18 and 25 and 39 and 58 and 72. We are always moving into the unknown, our dreams, and intentions for ourselves are a suggested route, but only suggested. We will never end up exactly who we thought we would be at any given age, no matter how much tshuva we do. But our tshuva, our revisiting of ourselves, can give us perspective in order to see what has grown in our lives, what has pushed up right out of the ground for each of us beyond any expectation of the past. Because what has grown is beautiful, even if what has grown is unplanned. So we return to our past selves or to some idea of who we thought we'd be, not to judge, but to get perspective. In other words, we make this journey and it bounces us right back to the what is of our actual lives our internal and external lives. We look back in order to notice and appreciate how we have emerged. Sort of like that Rabbi Isaac story. Sometimes we have to make that journey in order to have the perspective to see our own treasure. We look back and we see ourselves looking forward. As I stood in the forest cemetery, I looked at the gravestones and what I saw were people looking forward into the future. All I had to do was follow their gaze in order to rediscover myself. Tomorrow we will read in Torah about Jacob's return to his homeland, his birthplace after 20 years, his feared reunion with his brother Esau. We will notice that the first thing that Jacob does is send malachim, messengers, or angels ahead. 
When I walked into that cemetery, hearing the metal gate clang shut behind me, I was a malach. I was an angel from another land, from another time. And those people, the grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and neighbors whose graves I saw and whose graves I couldn't find, they have become angels for me to help me notice where I've come to, who I am. I still hear their voices full of curiosity, not judgment, but curiosity in my dreams at night. So let us dream ourselves. Let us take up our tshuva with joy and curiosity, becoming the angels, the messengers to all the selves we've been. Becoming the angels, the messengers from all the selves we've been to the self that is still emerging. Let us report in, remember the forgotten places, witness and admire, even if our instinct is to judge or dismiss, let us just pry up a tile from the floor and we will find treasure. <laughs>